0: We have been in a sermon series on the resurrection, uh, the future of hope. And so I'm going to pick that up, but I'm going to pick it up in a particular way. And I want you to hear the word of God and the scripture this morning. But I want you to think about the resurrection. We're not going to go to a passage of scripture that is explicitly about the raising of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you uh, to be thinking and, and, and questioning what the rising or the raising or the resurrection of Jesus has to do with what we will read in Luke chapter six. Luke six verses six through 16 is what I will read. I don't think I turned it in. Oh, you do have it. Look at that. Great. OK, somebody picked up my slack. This is a great church. Um, Luke 6, um, 6 through 16. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil?" If this, uh, Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose twelve of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I want to talk about reconciled community this morning, what it means for us as a church To be a community of reconciliation. Put that on the table from the beginning. And and as we come to Luke's gospel in chapter 6, Luke is taking us to the synagogue. He's pulling us right into the worship life of uh, the people of Israel. And we see uh, Jesus in the synagogue and usually in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and even John. There are three types of people in the synagogue when we see uh, worship happening in the synagogue. There are at Three types. There, there is uh, the type of person who is a supporter. Of Jesus' ministry. There, there are the disciples themselves, the people who are interested in Jesus' ministry, who take his teaching seriously, who live by the words that he teaches. So the disciples are in the synagogue and they are worshiping. Uh, that's one sort of category of people. The second category of people are people who really are indifferent to the message of Jesus. They, they're a little curious. They're interested in what Jesus may have to say, but they're not interested enough to take his words in. They're they're not interested enough to internalize the teachings of Jesus. They don't really live it out. They don't follow him like his disciples. So, So this group is somewhat interested. They may be curious, but they're overall pretty indifferent to the teachings of Jesus. So you have the disciples who are supporting the ministry of Jesus, following his ministry. Then you have this sort of curious, maybe we're interested group who tends to be more indifferent than anything else. And this third group that's in the synagogue, usually when we see the synagogue in the gospels, are the enemies of Jesus. The people who do not like Jesus, the people who not only don't like Jesus, but who are antagonistic to his ministry, the people who are looking for something uh, to hold against Jesus. They come to the synagogue because they hate Jesus. They come listening for his teaching so that they can judge his teaching. And it is this third group of enemies who we, we tend in the church, uh, at least in the church that, that I've been a part of most of my life, to treat these enemies of Jesus, these folks like Sadducees and Pharisees and religious leaders and scribes, as if they're in a different category than us ourselves. And I want you to think this morning about what it means to be in the worshiping community and to have all of these types of people in the worshiping community. And to ask yourself this morning whether the resurrection of Jesus makes reconciliation possible for disciples. Whether whether the resurrection of Jesus makes reconciliation possible for people who are interested but really indifferent to Jesus. Whether reconciliation is possible. Whether, Whether the raising of Jesus makes it possible for the enemies of God to be reconciled in some way. The religious leaders in this passage are listening to Jesus, but they're hearing him, listening to him, so that they can judge him. They are the group who is supposed to be the God seekers. They come to, wor- to they come to the synagogue, though not to worship God, but to evaluate Jesus. And I say that this morning, I want to sort of sit with the religious leaders and, and then move from them. But I, I bring them up because I want you to press this question in your own heart this morning. Why do you come to worship? Why do you come to this community of faith? Why are you here today? Why are you at new community? Because I think the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders get a bad rap. I think we're closer to them than we like to like to admit it. And I think that all of us can benefit from asking this question, what are my intentions for being in the faith community? These are good people, these Pharisees, these scribes, these keepers of the law. After all, they love the law. After all, they are the ones who are responsible for leading us in worship, leading us to encounter God. And yet there is room when people are supposed to be able to lead us to God. There is room for even those of us who lead us to God, to mix our intentions and our motives when it comes to Jesus Christ. And these religious leaders are an example or they give us an example they give us sort of this moment because Jesus knows their thoughts and and, and, and what I like and appreciate about the Savior is that he does not castigate them he does not cu- cut his enemies off he exhibits his gospel message which is not exclusive he invites them into dialogue and he engages his critics where they are and he asks. Asks them about Sabbath. Say the word Sabbath. Sabbath is simply a stopping of work. It's a cessation of work. It's it's that day in the seven-day week where we cease from our labors we have six days of work, we have one day of rest. We work all week long and we get these reminders and images and messages that what we do matters and it does, but we we, we we get into this cycle where we need by God's grace a moment where we stop and anchor ourselves in the one who does most of the work, in the one who uses us. So the Sabbath is on the calendar for us to stop and say, with all of my efforts and with all that, I have, I am still submitted to this creator God who makes it possible for me to work and to serve and to live and to be a husband or to be a mother and to be a parent or to be a student. So the Sabbath is really important in the life of God's people. And, and it's in the it's, it's on the Sabbath in the synagogue that we get this image of Jesus coming in. And and he asks them this question about the Sabbath. Jesus says, is this is this making sense to you all? Are you are you following me? OK, he says to them. Is this day? An opportunity for doing good or an opportunity for doing evil. And, and he engages these, these religious leaders. And I think what he's doing is the work of reconciliation. The word reconciliation is is repair. It is it is it is some kind of a uh, healing or health uh, that that brings us back to wholeness. So so reconciliation. There's there there is this image of there's a break. I I've not yet broken any bones in my body, and I'm grateful I have my brother and my sister for that. I've sort of watched them uh, growing up, and they've broken most of their. You know, parts, and they've been put back together again. And so I look at them, and I don't want to do that. So uh, I, I cannot really relate to what it means to break a bone and for a bone to be repaired. I don't really want to relate. Um, but, 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 but I have this image of brokenness. And what it means to 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 have a wound, what it means to um, have a break, and for reconciliation to bring not just a repair to what is broken, but to bring back health and to bring back wholeness. And I br- and I and I bring this language of reconciliation into this conversation this morning because there is reconciliation for the enemies of God in this synagogue. I think that Jesus is pushing his uh, critics, as the text says, to to look for something good. These these religious leaders who are at odds with Jesus, has Jesus pressing them to move beyond religion. To move beyond stock answers, to move beyond traditional views. Warren Wearsby, I read something that he said about this text. And he said uh, that when the traditions of people become more important than people, the traditions must be examined and changed. When the traditions of people become more important than people, the traditions must be examined and changed. And I want to think that Jesus is pushing these religious leaders to question their traditions about Sabbath, to question their readings and renderings about this this day when we stop and rest. And I think Jesus is trying to reconcile. I think Jesus is trying to push them and to invite them to see something good. What is this? What does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with a church? Uh, What does this have to do with a place like new community where we don't use words like Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes to refer to each other? I think I think where it where it falls for us as a church is um, in the language of generosity. I think for us as a church, I think for us to talk about what it means for new community to be a church of reconciliation, a church where there are different kinds of people coming from different places and from different backgrounds. I think the language of generosity is important language. I think it's I think there is a command in this text for us to give. What I mean by that. In in, in 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 when it comes to these enemies of god is that we have an opportunity to hear from Luke 6 and to become a church where forgiveness is in the culture I I see Jesus engaging these critics and I think it is Jesus um, showing them that what they think of him does not uh, stipulate what he thinks of them. And he is offering them something. And for us as a church that is diverse, where we come from all walks of life, I think uh, dealing with these enemies is a time for us to deal with what it means to be a forgiving people, to be a people of generosity who gives and gives and gives. And, and we have to anchor this in the God who is the giver of all gifts. We, we can't give without God giving us. Because we, we get empty. We get tired. We get exhausted. But, but when our hope and our help and our strength is in a God who is full of generosity. We give because or we give out of his Resource. We give grace. We give forgiveness. We give uh, forgiveness. We give necessary pardon. Jesus talks to these men in this text, and and I think. When I think about our church and when I've been at New Community for four years and and I've had conversations and you who have been here for some time and engaged with the life of this church, you have had conversations where you've walked away and if it were not for the great power of God, you could stay angry. Because we disagree, because we don't see things from the same place, because in, 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 in the world, if I can use that language, in larger society and outside of God's family, we are enemies. Uh, many of us, many of us, not just we, we don't just come from different sides of the track or different neighborhoods or communities. Many of us are have an inherent opposition to one another. One writer said that all of humanity is at odds with God. All of humanity is at odds with God. And many of us who who live with our minds open are at odds with each other. And the church is, this church by God's grace, is the place where we exercise forgiveness on purpose, where we are in general a forgiving people. So if you say the wrong thing about The South Side of Chicago, I don't bite your head off, but I forgive you if you altogether ignore that there is a South Side of Chicago. I I don't bite your head off, but I forgive you if I say something that doesn't just brush up against you, but rubs you and grates you and presses you down. Your first response is one of forgiveness. Now, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just forgive without engagement. He doesn't forgive without discussion. He doesn't forgive without dialogue. So the forgiveness does not mean that you won't talk to me, that you won't teach me, that you won't correct me, that we can't learn together, that we can't live together and grow based upon our differences. But it means when our differences have, have come between us, there is something called forgiveness that ropes and, and anchors us so that no matter what I say and what you say, because of God's power, we give grace. And you can't forgive if you're not good at giving. And so I think our prayer as a church can be, God, make us a generous God, make me generous so that I can sit with my sister or my brother and spend time even though I have so many other things to do. We, 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 we strengthen ourselves by giving these small things away. I'll give you 20 minutes here. I'll give you a phone conversation there. I'll give you G chat. I'll talk to you over Facebook. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my attention. And I'm building up sort of this, this flexibility. I'm building up this muscle so that when you offend me, I can give you grace. I'm used to giving. I think there's reconciliation for God's enemies in this text. The second, the second thing is there's, there's, there's reconciliation, repair, health, healing for this man who has a disability. This man, um, Jesus calls him out. And, and I think of this man, I've been imagining this man over the last week, and I imagine that this man is a guy who is happy enough to be in church, and who is fine with sitting in the back, fine sitting to the side, fine sitting on the fringe. He doesn't want to be picked out, and Jesus comes and does precisely that. This is a man who, because of his physical condition, isn't generally allowed. He's not acceptable. He doesn't look right. He has an injury that qualifies him to be put out of the church. And yet, when Jesus comes in the synagogue, Jesus doesn't just see him and just kind of give him that passing wave. Jesus calls him and makes him stand up in the middle of the church. I think this man is angry and irritated with Jesus. I think he is because here's a guy who's used to not being involved in the church. He's allowed, maybe he made a deal with the, with, with the religious leaders, but he's there. And now Jesus is blowing his cover. He's there standing up and Jesus goes and talks to the religious leaders. So you have the man stand and you ignore him for a few minutes. And here is this man, he has this problem, and I think he has a problem that can be covered up. It's a deformity of his hand. He can wear a robe. He can kind of, you know, you can't see his problem necessarily. But, but Jesus, I think, doing the work of reconciliation is, is redefining what it means to be a community of faith. And he's pulling out this man, I think, to tell us that there are some things that we try to keep behind our wraps and under wraps and away from public life that need to be in front of the community of faith. There are things that we go through in our lives as a church, uh, as individuals in this church, and we go through them alone that we should not go through alone. I will give you a safe example because we all have examples that, you know, we're not quite sure of. Right. You know, you have that list. Uh, I, I, I do premarital stuff with our couples and and sometimes talk to uh, talk to couples after they get married. And, and I always tell, you know, and I, I have to build skills with our brothers. And there's always a moment somewhere in the process where I get to tell the the brother usually um, that there are moments when there are things, there's this list that is public. We can talk about this, we can talk about this, you know, and then there's this list where we don't talk about this unless we agree to talk about this. And we all have these things, right? I mean, you know, there's certain things you talk about. You don't have to be married. No, you're dating. You want to talk to somebody about your issues. There's certain issues you just talk about. You run your mouth. You talk to your girlfriend. You talk to your boys. And then there are issues that if somebody finds out that you talked about it, it's like, wait, we didn't, we didn't agree on that, Right? And so I think that Jesus is messing with the boundaries here. And I think Jesus is pushing this man out to say, hey, church, hey, people of God, there are certain things that you've pushed to the fringe and to the margins in individuals' lives that need to be front and center. Because the community is a place of help. A place of repair. A place of whole." Jesus is talking to this man, and the Bible says he heals this man, which is phenomenal. He heals him. I mean, Luke is pretty simple it's just straightforward he heals him the man stretches out his hand his hand is whole he's healed and one of the things i love is that for this text in this example there is nothing told to the man like the man gets no instructions he's not told to be a disciple he's not told to tell people about jesus he's not told to go and sin no more he has no instructions from the savior all he gets is a healing and 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 one or two of you are here. And I want this to, to sit with you because you've heard enough instruction and you've heard enough command and you've been motivated. You're a witness. You're a this or that. You're a disciple. But this morning, maybe the only thing for you to hear is that God has healing available for you. Maybe there's no instruction. Maybe there's no take home. Maybe there's no takeaway. Maybe there's nothing else valuable except this truth that God is able to take what you've hidden and to heal you. That this can be a church where not just the enemy of God is healed, but where the broken and the person who's put to the margin, the person who's been sitting on the fringe can be healed with no expectation by the grace of God. The last um, I think object of reconciliation in this passage that, that i 'll talk about if if, if god 's enemies have an opportunity to be reconciled and these religious leaders by Jesus engaging with them and talking with them, trying to push them to see the good to see something beautiful, this man who 's broken who 's healed I think, I think this 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 third group is um, in uh, the disciples themselves. I think that, um, uh, and usually when I've when I've heard this passage taught, I've not heard the healing connected with um, the, the 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 choosing of the twelve disciples, and and I want to suggest to you that these are these two things need to be together because what I see is a contrast between what, what the leaders who are uh, in position are doing and what the new upstarts who don't really know much about uh, get to do. Here, here is Jesus, and after this healing, uh, when the Pharisees and these scribes, these teachers of the law, are angry and filled with rage, Jesus heals this man, and he goes uh, to pray. And uh, the, the scripture says, at daybreak, after praying to God all night, he called together his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the zealot. Judas, son of James. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I think that Jesus calls these disciples. And in calling these disciples he is performing another act of reconciliation. I'm going to tell you what I mean. I think he is exhibiting love for these disciples. And I think he is calling us to love as his disciples. Now, when I say love, I am going to use Thomas Merton's definition of love he says that love is an expression of communion between persons. Love is an expression of communion between persons, an expression of intimacy between persons. It is something, um, it is, it is something that we see and don't see. It is an expression of communion between persons persons. And I think Jesus, in calling these disciples, is expressing love. I think he is expressing communion between he and them. I think he's expressing intimacy between he and them. I think he's expressing love for his disciples. What do I mean? Luke gives us the names of these disciples. And periodically in these two verses, he sprinkles in these parenthetical remarks about these disciples. And I think that, that in calling these disciples and in naming their relatives, their associations, their narratives. Jesus is reconciling in these disciples. Okay, what, what, let me say that a different way. Um, these are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, um, Peter's brother. Actually, um, it's not in this particular rendering. Then there is Simon, uh, uh, James, son of Alphaeus. That is sort of the parenthetical uh, portion there. Simon, parentheses who was called the zealot. Judas, parentheses son of James. And Judas Iscariot, there's a comma there, but that's a parenthesis in my translation here. So in after these commas, In these parentheses, I think, is the the image of reconciliation, the image of Jesus repairing something about the backgrounds of the people who will serve him. There's a zealot in this group there's a tax collector in this group people who are hated people who are eager to you know take the government down there are fishermen in this group there are diverse kinds of people in this group and this diverse group of people will reach a diverse group of people this group of folks coming from all over will reach people from all over but these people here these disciples in this text like us are related to people who will disqualify them from the work of God, if the work of God means we have to have the right pedigree. If the work of God is restricted to who we know and and the kinds of relationships that we have, then we're on slippery ground. But I think Jesus is calling us with our stories, with our junk, with our backgrounds, and saying, you can be the son of this person, you can be a son who doesn't know who your parent is, and I can still use you. I think Jesus is saying, you can be a zealot or you can be an Essene. You can be the kind of person who's on the front line or you can be the person way in the back who's never seen and I can still use you. And I think Jesus is is pulling for you who listen to me today this point and asking that question of what is it in your life that you believe disqualifies you from being used by God? Are there there relationships or are there relatives? uh, Is there brokenness in your background that you think takes you away from an opportunity to be called a disciple, to be a member of a reconciled community? And that is the thing that Jesus Christ wants to repair in your life. That is the relationship that Jesus Christ wants to heal in your life. somebody come jump on the keys David (laughs) bow your head uh, church uh, unless you're walking I need you to pay attention to where you're going but uh, if you're sitting bow your head And, and and for for a moment I, w- I want you and, and you've been you've been listening to me. I want you to listen to what you have to say to yourself, about what you 've heard. I want you to sit for a moment and think about what Jesus has to reconcile in your life. There, there is great opportunity for us as a church. But there is great opportunity for you this. And maybe you are here and you want God to heal you. You need wholeness. You need some kind of repair in your life. Perhaps you're not physically sick. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe there's something else going on in your life. And and you would love for Jesus to tell you to stand up and, and stretch out your hand and stretch yourself out and come back whole. Would you in your own way, maybe in the quietness of your heart, just kind of tell God about that? Jesus, you um, are able to do phenomenal things, incredible things, miraculous things. Uh, And I'm grateful for that. We are thankful for that. As a church, we look forward to what you will do We look ahead to how you will accomplish your plan for your creation. And yet, as individuals, God, we come to this church and we hear about the hope of a resurrection. We hear about the gospel and and, and we need your help making, making it stick in our lives. We need your help because there's brokenness in some of our lives. There's disease in some of our lives. So, Um, would you would you do your work making us a reconciled people making us a people who are um, whole a people who are healed a forgiving people a loving people we ask these things in your strong name Leave this place. Be God's people. Live in the hope and power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everybody.